The all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. The all-new Hyundai Santa Fe's features like available H-Track all-wheel drive, standard third-row seating, available dual wireless charging pads ensure you can take on any adventure. Available H-Track all-wheel drives so you can take on the dirt trails and kick up some mud. Standard third-row seating so your whole family can experience the thrill together. Available dual wireless charging pads so no one gets stuck in the great outdoors with a dead phone. Whether you're tailgating out in the dirt lot, Carter Finley, shout out Carter Finley, or whether you're whitewater rafting, taking the entire family on an adventurous trip, maybe you're out camping at Mount Rogers, I used to go as a kid, I wish my parents had a Hyundai Santa Fe, the Hyundai Santa Fe is perfect for your family outing, learn more about the all new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com, call 562-314-4603 for complete details. <laughs> Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Pick 6 Podcast. I'm your guest host, John Breach, and I'm here because apparently Will Brinson has decided to take Mondays off for the rest of the season. That's not true. That is not true. He is traveling. He'll be back in the host chair on Wednesday. But to make Brinson happy while he's gone, you should download and subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts and anywhere else you listen. And while you're doing that over on Apple Go ahead and leave us a five-star review, and if you do that, make sure to mention that your favorite guest host is John Breach. We're doing things a little different here on Monday. You are getting three podcasts today. You have a Super Friends recap. You have an emergency Jay Gruden just got fired podcast with Jason Lockenfora, and we now have a Monday night preview podcast with Jared Dubin, and that is what we're jumping into Right now, so let me bring on the man who will be previewing that Monday game, Mr. Dubin. How are you doing, man? I'm doing good, man. How about you? I am doing good. Let me ask you, are you already weirded out by the fact that you're talking to me and not Brinson? No, I'm good. Okay, that's good. <laughs> I don't want it to be awkward. Dubin, you own a dog. Does that? Are you going to be like favoring uh, the dog pound tonight? Should 49ers fans be worried about that? I don't think they should be worried about my favoritism. I think they should be a little bit worried about the fact that Joe Staley is not going to play in this game and that I have no idea if any of their wide receivers can get open even against Cleveland secondary. Ooh, that is a good hint of things to come in this preview. So let's start with the Browns. I know that you just teased the 49ers, so we're going to make people wait for that. Uh, last week, Cleveland, you know, this team had so much hype coming into the season. They're sitting at one and two. It looked like, oh my God, if they lose to the Ravens, this whole thing's going to implode on Freddie Kitchens. Boom. They come out. They dominate the Ravens 40 to 25. The win wasn't a fluke. And let me ask you, Browns are two and two, four weeks into the season. Where are they compared to your expectations for what they were going to be coming into the season? Does two and two feel about right? Or should they be three and one, one and three? Better, worse? I think they've probably been worse overall than I expected them to be just in terms of the quality of their play. But a two and two record is, you know, not necessarily quote unquote bad, uh, compared to, to what I expected to see from them. The thing for me is I just expected the offense to be a lot more consistent and just a lot better in general. Um, and that hasn't really been the case. Obviously last week was the first week that they really got going offensively. Their offensive line has just been, I mean, 
atrocious <laughs> is uh, the best word to describe it throughout the season. Last week was really the first week that they did like an even decent job of protecting Baker Mayfield. He was under pressure 38% of the time in uh, in the first three weeks of the year. That was one of the highest rates in the league. Last week, only 22%, and it's not a coincidence that uh, that, that was their first good game throwing the ball. Yeah, and you say that, and you look at who the Browns have beaten, who they haven't beaten, and they've beaten the teams with the bad defenses. The Jets, the Ravens have been kind of paper tigers so far. Their defense wasn't as good as everyone thought it was going to be. And they lost to the Rams and the Titans, who just you know were pressuring Baker Mayfield and kind of beating him up the whole game. Um, now, let me ask you a question about the 49ers real quick. I feel like this team has just been totally forgotten. This is East Coast bias at its finest. <laughs> All the, We have two undefeated teams left. In the NFL, one of them is the 49ers. I feel like if you went out and asked a general NFL fan, they might not even know that, that the 49ers are still undefeated because they had a bye week. Everybody just kind of forgot about them. Do you think this game is a chance for them to kind of say, hey, we're here. This is on the Monday night stage, gain some national respect, and maybe beat up on Cleveland? I mean, I think it's definitely a chance. Like anytime you're the, you know, the single window game and team and uh, other teams and media people and fans get to see you come out and win that kind of game. It's always good for, you know, gaining attention for whether you're a good team or not. And I think obviously when you're in a situation like this, you're playing a team that had a lot of hype coming into the season, even if they've not looked that good so far. I think if the 49ers do come out and beat the Browns on national TV on Monday Night Football, that's going to be something that forces people to pay attention. I think that some of the reason that they've not necessarily gotten that attention yet is because they haven't really beat anybody good just yet. You know, they, they beat the Bucks in week one. They beat the Bengals, I believe, in week two. And then they beat the Steelers without Ben Roethlisberger in week three. So, I mean, the, the defenses look good. I think that that's a really good sign for them. The offense has scored well. They've got 24 points or more in each of their three games. But I'm not sure I trust them to stay this consistent throughout the season just because, like, that, that receiving core is just not good, man. Um, I uh, I don't really know who they're going to have on the field on any given snap. They're basically rotating five guys through those receiver spots, and um, Kyle Shanahan can get pretty much anybody open, but I'm not confident in, in their pass catchers outside of George Kittle. Yeah, and, and Kittle, you just mentioned, is the only guy on the team with over 150 yards receiving this year, which isn't ideal for them. And you look at the 49ers and you mentioned kind of maybe not fluky wins, but the reason people don't respect them right now is because that Tampa game, Jameis Winston threw pick sixes. He kind of gave San Francisco the win. The Bengals are horrible. And obviously, like you said, the Steelers did not have Ben Roethlisberger. So they, most teams would have started 3-0 and with that schedule. Now, let's look at the actual dynamics of the games. Let's start with the Browns. Because everyone loves to talk about the Browns. At least that's what it felt like this offseason. Um, Baker Mayfield, that guy has been all over the place this offseason. We've seen him play some phenomenal football. We have seen him struggle at times. You know, he, he gets under pressure. He doesn't look like the same Baker Mayfield as when he has a clean pocket. So what's your take been on Baker Mayfield so far this year and, and you know, and how inconsistent he's been? Yeah, I mean, I think the – you basically nailed down the issue right there. Like when he's been under pressure, he's just been terrible. I mean, in the first three weeks of the season, I mentioned it earlier, he was under pressure on, uh, I believe, 38% of his dropbacks. He had a 28.3 passer rating on those plays. That's just, I mean, it's 
it's not sustainable in terms of being able to run an actual offense if you're under pressure that often and if your passer rating is that bad when you are. When he's had time, he hasn't necessarily been very good. Last week, he was quite good when he was uh, throwing from a clean pocket. But, I mean, they, they just need to keep him more well-protected because you saw it, I think, uh, in week three when they were playing uh, on um, against the Rams – and basically, even when he was not under pressure, he was just running out of the pocket because he thought he was going to be under pressure. And he would just uh, escape to the right side of the offense every single time, and there was just nothing there. Even when there was no pressure, it basically broke down the offense because he was not confident in being able to sit inside the pocket. Last week, it got a little bit better. If they can hold up in front of him, then he can start being in rhythm a little bit more. He can get Odell Beckham on those quick slants. He found Jarvis Landry a bunch of times last week. So basically they just, they just need to give him the confidence that he can sit in the pocket for longer than it takes for the snap to get to him in shotgun, and then you'll see the, the offense look much different. And let's see. You mentioned Jarvis Landry, who is the team's leading wide receiver, which might surprise some people because they just added Odell Beckham. I think a lot of people thought that maybe Odell would. And Jarvis Landry had a concussion last week. Should He was clear, so he should be playing Monday. How important is that to have him in this offense? I think it's pretty important. I mean, last uh, – sorry, the first three weeks of the season, they played a lot of 11 personnel, which is, you know, one running back, one tight end, three wide receivers. Last week against uh, against the Ravens, they went to a little bit more 12 personnel, which is one back, two tight ends, and two receivers. Um, it's important to have Landry out there for those two receiver sets just because you need somebody else who can kind of stretch the field out there if you're going to have two tight ends on the field at the same time. And uh, and especially if they're going to be devoting so much attention to Beckham, like most teams tend to do. Um, and, you know, Rashard Higgins looks like he's going to be back from uh, from his injury that has been out for since week one, and Antonio Callaway is coming off the suspension, so they are able to to rotate a little bit more at that spot if they want. If Landry's still feeling, you know, his uh, concussion symptoms from what he had last week, but Landry's just the I think the best player out of those three guys. You need somebody to take s- some attention away from Odell Beckham, and um, you know Landry is the leading receiver right now, but he had done basically nothing in the first three weeks, and he's the leading receiver because he had eight for 167 last week, <laughs> while while Odell Beckham I think had two catches for for 20 yards or whatever it was. Before that, Beckham had really been the you know the more dangerous guy, and really none of the other receiving options had gotten going. That includes Landry, that includes you know Higgins for the first week when he was out there, Damian Ratley who had been playing you know with with Higgins out and Callaway suspended, and even the tight ends before last week had done pretty much nothing. David Njoku didn't do much uh, in week one, then obviously suffered a concussion and a broken wrist in week two, and then the, the other tight ends, until Ricky Seals-Jones sort of went off last week, they had done pretty much nothing either. It had just been Beckham, and then finally last week, the Ravens basically said, Odell Beckham is not going to do anything. We're going to shadow him with Marlon Humphrey and provide safety help, and you're going to have to beat us with somebody else, and that's exactly what they wound up doing. Yeah, and that is obviously important because if somebody's going to shut down Odell, it's obviously going to open up other parts of the passing game, and the Browns took advantage of that. So I don't know if we'll see the 49ers do the same thing. But another guy who is absolutely dangerous in that Browns offense is Nick Chubb, and we saw him go off against Baltimore. I mean, that was his that's kind of what we expected from Nick Chubb. 165 yards rushing in that 40 to 25 win last week against Baltimore. And so 
right now, this is probably his biggest test of the season. He's going up against the 49ers defense that I think is third in the NFL. They've only given up 75 yards per game, so they've done a good job of shutting down the other team's ground game. And how do you think Nick Chubb is going to do tonight, and how much do you think they should use him? Yeah, I mean, it's interesting because, you know, we mentioned it earlier with that San Francisco defense. They haven't exactly played, you know, the most dangerous offenses in the world. They played, again, it was the Bucks with the, you know, Ronald Jones, Peyton Barber combination. Uh, they played the Bengals, who, yeah, I mean, their offensive line has just not been very good so far. And they've, they've had some decent offensive games, but it's not like Joe Mixon has been very good outside of, you know, even the game that they played against San Francisco. And then they played the Steelers again in that first game, really the first full game, at least without Ben Roethlisberger. And they did a pretty good job of shutting down James Conner. I mean, it's, it's a much different team when you're playing against Nick Chubb, but that said, I mean, the, the San Francisco offensive front is just really good right now. You know, they got D Ford in the offseason. Nick Bosa looks unbelievable so far early in the year. Eric Armstead and DeForest Buckner look pretty good up front as well. I mean, they're they're playing very well, and this Cleveland offensive line is really just not playing well at all. So, uh, I mean, it's it's a much different test just based on the quality of running back and the quality of offense that the, the 49ers are facing in this one. But I, I like their front a lot, and I don't necessarily like this Cleveland offensive line all that much. So it's going to be interesting to see if they can really get anything going on the ground. So it sounds like you feel like the 49ers defense matches up pretty well with what the Browns have in offense. Yeah. I mean, I think that it's a, it's a good matchup for them. And it's, um, I think that the one issue for them is that their secondary is just not good at all. Um, even with Richard Sherman back there, I mean, they still have a Kello Witherspoon who is going to be out for this game too. And then their safeties are not playing very well either. So if the offensive line can hold up at all, then I think the Browns have an opportunity to get something going through the air, but it's a matter of, you know, that offensive line, which has not been very good so far holding up against the defensive front, which has been very good. I mean, Nick Bosa has 17 pressures in three games and then, you know, Armstead Buckner and Ford have done pretty well rushing the passer too. I mean, the Browns are getting Chris Hubbard back in this game and that should help them. But, I mean, the rest of their offensive line has not been playing very well, even with Hubbard out. So it's going to take a lot for them to be able to get their offense going just because a unit that has not played well at all is going to have to hold up. Dubin, one more quick question about the Browns. It is just a yes or no question, uh, and it's really because I'm selfish, and I know Brinson does this stuff all the time, so I would be remiss if I didn't do it. I need 27 points from Nick Chubb in fantasy tonight. Is he going to get me those points, yes or no? Uh, I'd say it's unlikely, but possible. Okay, that makes me feel a little bit better. All right, we are going to take a quick break, and then we will come back and talk about the San Francisco 49ers. The perfect combination of versatile athleisure and training apparel has arrived. Thanks to the visionary minds of New Balance, Clutch Athletics, and Rich Paul, the designs reflect the heart of the athlete and the spirit of the community. With rising defensive stars Will Anderson and Chase Young on the roster, Clutch Athletics brings the best innovative gear to all athletes, giving them style and performance on and off the field. Learn more and purchase Clutch Athletics at NewBalance.com. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. 
Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. All right. Welcome back. You just heard Dubin give us the lowdown on the Cleveland Browns and and what they're going to throw out in San Francisco tonight. And now we're going to talk a little bit about the 49ers and one player who is going to be coming back from injury in this game for San Francisco, is Tevin Coleman. And although the 49ers ground game has been holding up okay without him, Matt Breed, Arene Moser, both over 200 yards on the season, Tevin Coleman was that guy who understood Kyle Shanahan's system. He was with him in Atlanta. What does his return mean uh, to this offense, and will it make this team better? I mean, a lot of that is going to depend on how they decide to divvy up the touches because I don't think that Brita and Raheem Mostert are going to all of a sudden disappear. It seemed like if you, you know, read sort of the tea leaves from what Kyle Shanahan was saying over the past couple of weeks, it seems like Tevin Coleman is going to sort of take over the role that Jeff Wilson has been filling over the past couple of weeks as the guy that they use, you know, inside the 20 and inside the 10 is sort of the goal line back. And then Brita and Mostert are going to be the guys that, you know, sort of move them down the field. And, you know, the way they rotate those guys in and out of the game, you, you always have a fresh running back on the field to be able to make the defense pay when they, you know, in case they get, you know, worn down from playing the same defensive lineman out there. And all three of these guys, I think, is the key here. They're all able to make plays between the tackles, on the perimeter, and in the passing game. And that allows Kyle Shanahan to sort of do essentially whatever he wants on any given play. You're not locked into, you know, like we have to run because this guy's on the field or we have to throw because that guy's on the field. They're able to be very versatile and keep defenses guessing. So in in that sense, I do think it helps them a lot. But I don't think that much is going to change for them in terms of the way they design their offense or even necessarily who's on the field at a given time. It seems like Coleman's going to slide into the role that Wilson's been playing. And you're going to see, I think, a heavy dose of all three of these guys. And do you think that maybe we'll see a few more passes to the running back? Because I do feel like that's something San Francisco hasn't really been doing maybe as much as Shanahan did in Atlanta. I think Raheem Motzer is their leading uh, receiver as far as a guy from the running back position. He has four catches on the year, only six targets, though. Uh, it doesn't seem like Garoppolo has been targeting the running backs maybe as much as we thought we w- he would coming into the season. Yeah, I mean, I just don't know that they're throwing all that much yet. I mean, in three games, they're averaging, I think, like 28 pass attempts a game, which is pretty low for, you know, the modern NFL. Like, that's only 448 pass attempts for the season, and that would be a a pretty low total for pretty much anybody. So I do think that you'll see not just throwing to the running backs more, but just throwing more in general, you know, as they start playing more competitive games throughout the rest of the season. I mean, they won their first two games uh, by double digits, and then they played that Steelers game in week three. I mean, as they start playing better teams, they're going to have to throw the ball a bit more. I do think that, you know, Breida and, uh, and Coleman especially should be guys who are targeted a bit more in the passing game, especially because, again, like we, we mentioned it briefly earlier in the podcast, I don't have a ton of confidence in their receivers. It seems like the best pass catchers on the team are George Kittle and the running backs. And, um, you know, the way Kyle Shanahan is able to scheme guys open, you know, he gets guys open on, you know, those wheel routes, on screens, all different kinds of things. I do think the running backs probably should be involved in the passing game quite a bit more. All right, do you want to put you on the spot with the 49ers running backs? If I am a desperate fantasy football owner who has to start a running back from that backfield tonight, do I go with Breida, Motzer, or Tevin Coleman? Um, I mean, if 
if it's a uh, non-PPR league, I think you probably want to go with Coleman because it seems like the guy is uh, is going to be their sort of goal line back, and he's probably just the best bet to score because of that. If it's PPR, I think you might want to go with Brita because he's probably going to be sort of the lead back between the 20s and just the guy who gets the ball most often, and that might give you a chance to rack up points. Uh, I would not be super confident if you need a quote-unquote big game from any of them, though, because I think that they're going to rotate those guys in and out. All right, Jared, let's move on to the guy that kind of makes this offense go, but I'm still not sure, Jimmy Garoppolo. I feel like if there is one guy in the history of NFL, in the whole entire history of the NFL, in 100 years, who has put together this phenomenal win-loss record, he's 11-2 and in his career, but yet we're still asking, is he any good? Do we know if he's any good? Uh what is your take on Garoppolo's season? Because obviously they're 3-0 at this point. And has he met your expectations, below expectations, or jury still out? I think the jury is kind of still out. I mean, I don't know that we know much of anything about whether or not he's good. I mean, he's doing a, a nice job completing passes, 69% completion percentage, 8.8 yards per attempt. But in three games, he has five touchdowns and four picks. And it's not like he's been, you know, out there lighting the world on fire. I think that Shanahan can make pretty much any quarterback look at least competent or somewhere above competent and close to good. I think we saw that last year when, you know, Nick Mullins played pretty much the entire year <laughs> and was and was actually pretty good for them. Um, and and again, it's it's not like this team has played anybody all that good so far. I mean, I don't think they've played necessarily a good defense yet, uh, but between the Bucks, the, the, um, the Bengals and the Steelers, I mean, this, this Browns defense, I think is good, but their corners are out. They might have their safeties out again, too. Um, I, I don't know that we're going to learn much about Garoppolo in this game either. If the offensive line can hold up against, you know, Miles Garrett up front. So if you're a 49ers fan, are you slightly concerned because Garoppolo has looked average against three bad teams? Or are you optimistic because you're like, he's only get, get better. He's coming off an ACL injury. He's only played three games. We're 3-0, and and he's looked average. I think that for this season, I am feeling pretty good because, you know, they're 3-0. and He's looked average. And, uh, you know, I think you have confidence that because the defense is good and because the coach is good that they'll be able to find a degree of success in the long term i'm not necessarily sure that garoppolo is the guy but because of the way they structured that contract if they decide that he's not they can essentially get out of it after this season with you know with very little penalty to them they can basically save 22 and a half million dollars on the salary cap by cutting Garoppolo after this season, only a $4.2 million dead money charge, and they can just decide to go somewhere else if they want. Yeah, 49ers, uh, I can't remember his name, that runs the salary cap over there and puts those contracts, but they are famous for being able to chop people after a year or two without taking a big cap hit. Um, all right, so you've mentioned that you have no faith in the 49ers receivers. You like mm-hmm. their running backs. Jury's still out on Jimmy Garoppolo. So with that combo of three things how do the 49ers go about attacking the Browns' defense tonight? Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of it is going to depend on whether those receivers can wind up getting open. I think they're going to be able to find a decent amount of success in the running game. But in terms of the pass, I mean, without Joe Staley, it's going to be interesting to see if the offensive line uh, can hold up as well as it has through these first few weeks of the season. Olivier Vernon has not done very well playing across from Miles Garrett 
but you know, on the inside, Richardson and uh, and Larry Ogunjobi have played have played well there. If those guys are able to get pressure, then you're going to have to depend on those receivers to get open and not just get open, but get open quickly, so that Garoppolo can identify who the the guy to to go to to go to with the ball is quickly after the snap. And um, that's a problem for them because these guys just have not been all that good so far. Um, if the offensive line can hold up, that gives things a little bit more time to develop down the field. And because the Browns are likely going to be without their two starting corners, then that you know is a pretty big advantage for the 49ers. So in, in terms of the receivers, I think a lot of it is going to depend just on the offensive line and whether they can keep guys away from Garoppolo and allow those guys to a bit more time to get open because they're going to need it. All right, Dubin, I know you have zero faith in any of the receivers in the 49ers roster, so I'm going to put you on the spot because I love putting you on the spot. If you had to put money on which receiver in that offense for San Francisco is going to have the highest amount of receiving yards tonight, who would you say it is? I guess Marquise Goodwin, just because he seems like the most likely guy to break a long touchdown. All right, well, that's a good segue because we're going to talk about your favorite topic Player props. Browns are five point underdogs on the, on the road in San Francisco. Primetime game here. Over under is forty seven. So let's get to these player props. Uh, we're gonna start with Baker Mayfield. Uh, two hundred and sixty one and a half passing yards. Is he going over or under? <sighs> this is really tough because I don't think that the the offensive line can hold up well, but I think that the secondary is probably not going to hold up against those Browns receivers. That seems like too good of an over-under, and I feel like it's going to be very close. But I'm going to say the Browns might be having to come from behind, so I'll say over. I like that. And, and for the record, Baker Mayfield has gone over three times. He barely hit the over against the Titans in week one with 285 yards. He went under against the Rams in a game where he was sacked three times, but he has hit that over uh, on that number three times this year. All right, let's go to the other quarterback, Jimmy Garoppolo. His number's right in the Mayfield range, not quite 261.5. Is Jimmy going to go over or under 258.5 yards? Um, I'm going to say under. I think that if the 49ers are going to win, it's going to be because they wind up controlling the ball, uh, with the run and they're able to get, you know, the clock moving that way and their defense plays well and they don't have to necessarily throw a ton. Um, if, if they're throwing up a lot and having to come from behind, that's probably not necessarily a good sign for them because that means that the defense is not held up well against the Browns offense. Yeah, and if you look at Jimmy Garoppolo's season so far, his best game was against the Bengals. And, and even in that game where he threw three touchdown passes, he still only threw for 296 yards. So uh, I like that. I like the under with you, Dubin. Um, it's going to be rough for him to get that high. It just doesn't seem like what Kyle Shanahan wants to do. All right, let's go to back to the Cleveland Browns offense and Nick Chubb. Does he go over or under 86 and a half yards? Total or on the ground? This is only on the ground, only rushing yards. Um, I think I'd go under there. I think the San Francisco uh, defensive line has been really good, and the way that the the Browns are going to have to move the ball is probably going to be through the air and just kind of picking on those corners and the back end of the secondary. I am going to go over, but I am only going over because of my fantasy quandary. I'm doubling down. I need him to have a big <laughs> game. 
I need to win my fantasy game, and I need to get this over, so I am going to disagree with Dubin and go with the over. Now let's go to Odell Beckham. Over or under 76 and a half yards. I like over here, too. I think he had been pretty good through those first three games of the year, and then last week they just sort of couldn't get him going. But I I don't like this San Francisco secondary very much, and I don't think it's likely that he's going to get shadow coverage from from Richard Sherman or or anything like that. And I think when he's on the other side of the field or even when he's in a slot, there are going to be opportunities for for him to get open, especially after last week. You know, you get the sort of squeaky wheel narrative. I think they're going to try to get him the ball, and I think he's going to have a nice game. And real quick, uh, Odell, the over-under here is 76 and a half yards. He has not even hit 76 and a half yards in his past two games combined. Uh, over the past two weeks, he has 76 yards total, but as Dubin mentioned way earlier, the, the Ravens went crazy. They put Marlon Humphrey shadowing him across the field, had some safety help, and they were just pretty much gunning to shut down Odell, which is what they do. And I absolutely agree with Dubin. I think he's going to go over. He's going to explode. This is what Odell does. He gets shut down for a couple weeks. All of a sudden, he has that huge 150-yard game. You're just like, where did that come from? All right, let's end this over-under segment with George Kittle. I know that you said he is the only receiving threat in the 49ers offense right now. The over-under with him is 69 and a half yards. What's he doing, Dubin? Over or under? Uh, I'd go over there too. I don't necessarily think that, uh, that the Niners are going to throw for a ton of yards, but I think when they do, it's going to have to be Kittle. That's the guy making the plays. And, um, I know that the, the Browns linebackers are pretty good, but I do, I do think he's going to get there. I know he hasn't gone over that number, uh, in any of the games so far, but he is their most consistent threat and he's getting, you know, in the seven, eight, nine target per, uh, per game range. So. I think he gets there. Yeah, and I like that because I feel like if that offense is going to get moving, they need to get Kittle involved. He hasn't put up the numbers that we saw him put up last season. Uh, He's averaging about 55 yards receiving a game, and as Jared just mentioned, that is way under what the 69.5 is, but I do agree with Dubin that he's going to surprise some people and go over, and now we will end here with Dubin's Monday night pick. As I just mentioned, the Browns are five-point underdogs the over-under is 47, so Dubin, lay it on us. What is your pick for the game? So I think a lot of this is going to come down to which of two units plays better. Is it the San Francisco offensive line, or sorry, is it the Cleveland offensive line or the San Francisco secondary? I don't have a ton of confidence in uh, in either one of those units necessarily, but I think that I'm going to wind up going with the, the Cleveland offensive line there. And uh, I wound up taking the Browns uh, 23-21. Whoa, so you have a close, close, close game. Uh, Dubin, that is an excellent pick, and I am just going to say that I agree with you, and I'm going to toot both our horns right now that Dubin and I leading uh, the straight-up picks at CBSSports.com. We're both picking... Uh, just over 60% correct picks, and we both like the Browns. That's got to be a sign, right, Jared? Yes. <laughs> That's, I think, I think. All right, we, and I, I think my final score, I can't remember what I picked, but I, I think I like the over. I think I like this turning into a shootout. So, Dubin, we agree with the uh, the game pick of the Browns. You like, you said 23-21, right? Yep. So Dubin's going slightly under. I think it's going to go slightly over. I think it'll be around 50 points. So that is the one part we disagree on. 
And now, anything else you want to throw in on this game, Dubin? Nah, I mean, I think uh, I'm on the uh, the recap podcast tonight for the first time this year because Brinson decided that he needs to travel somewhere. So uh, I guess we'll talk more about it after the game's over. That is the perfect segue because Brinson will not be back till Wednesday. So make sure uh, you're listening Wednesday and Brinson will be back in the hosting chair. But for now, me, Dubin, and Sean will be the super friends covering the Monday night game for the Tuesday morning podcast. So make sure to listen then, and thanks for listening now. Have a good day, everybody. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones so we'll never lose touch with civilization and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.